Hunting is not easy. It never has been. It takes dedication, motivation, a lot of patience, and quality gear. If you manage a food plot, put up stands, or need just one more game camera, we can help at MidwayUSA.com. We opened our doors in 1977 and continue to put customers first by offering super fast, same day shipping. For just about everything for the outdoors, go to MidwayUSA.com. When it comes to hunting boots, how many pairs does one man need? Well, how many seasons are there? Turkey season? Deer season? Duck season? Dove season? Honey, how many pairs of boots does one man need? At least one more pair. For just about everything for hunting, go to MidwayUSA.com. I'm Larry Potterfield with Midway USA. Thanks for your business. Hey, I just got back from lunch. Did you finish that report yet? Uh, well, not exactly. Um, still working on it. I'm not finished just yet. Uh, I got a little sidetracked, but I will get them to you first thing this afternoon. <laughs> it is first thing this afternoon. Well, yeah, I, I understand that, but I mean, I, I am working on it. But I'll, I'll have, uh, what do you mean that the report isn't finished yet? I'm, I'm still in the process of working on it. I've just been a little distracted. Just distracted? Our meeting starts in an hour. Can have it. You, you no no. What were you doing? Were you listening to another hunting podcast again? I swear, I give the staff in this office the freedom to do whatever they want to do as long as they meet a deadline. That is the first bullet underneath your job description. Pays attention to detail and deadline and deadline. Dude, are you even listening to me right now? Welcome back to the Whitetail Distraction Podcast. This is Charles, and for the first time in three years, I will be riding solo on this episode. It looks like Brother Austin needed a little paternity leave because he just had his baby today as we record this episode. So I decided, since I'm riding solo, that I will start the series that we are going to call the local Deer Slayer series or just Deer Slayer series, not sure yet. But I have a guy from the other side of PA. He is going to be our first guest. This is somebody that was introduced to us through a post that we put on Instagram. And someone reached out and said, hey, check this guy out. So we got him on. But Before we get into all the good details, we have to talk a little bit about our sponsors, so I'm going to cover those really quick. First and foremost, ScreeGear, ScreeGear.com. We do have a discount code running right now that is WDP20, all caps. That will get you 20% off your first purchase, and I will tell you right now, you will not be disappointed. This stuff is absolutely incredible. I would suggest if you're like me, in your last minute, and you still want something for the deer season here in PA, the state opener on October 2nd, then you need to order now, because I believe you can still get the clothing in. I'm not going to guarantee it, but I think if you order now, you'll still get the clothing in. At least what I would suggest is go with the base layers, the 150 top and bottom. Start there, maybe get a neck warmer, maybe the gator. Those are my favorite pieces. You got to get merino wool in your system, guys. It is a must. I won't use the GC word, but it's a must. Second, VIP from Texas is 
absolutely incredible company. They have one of the most badass broadheads on the market right now. It is just an absolute stud killing broadhead. Get yourself out there. It's on sale right now for $40 for three of them. That's going to last you a long time. Go do it. But I can't say enough about Out on a Limb Manufacturing. Out on a Limb MFG.com. My boy Matt Garris, he is crushing it right now with the hush stand. He's got the Shakar sticks. He's got platforms, the Ridge Runner. He's got the Shakar one stick out. The guy is just absolutely killing the game. He's only three weeks behind on production, which I, I shouldn't say behind. He's three weeks out from the time you put in an order till it's on your front door. So nobody else in the game is doing that right now. He's doing it consistently. Last but not least, New Canoe. NewCanoe.com. Go check them out. Some of the best kayaks in the game. They have them for all of your different size needs, price needs. That's where you want to be if you're looking for a kayak, something quality. Deer season's coming up. Maybe you're a waterfowl hunter and you need something that you can put a duck blind over and you're not going to fall in the water, cold temperatures, because the stability is absolutely insane. So go check them out. And that's it. Quick and easy, down and dirty. Let's go ahead and get Jason Go on. Like I said, Jason is a local Northeast guy and he's going to kick off our new series, the Deer Slayer series. All right, guys, here we are. We have Jason Go on the line. Jason, what's going on, man? How you doing tonight? I am doing fantastic, buddy. How are you tonight? I'm pretty good. I'm uh, just hanging out, uh, you know, looking forward to some time in the woods. I heard, before we started this, because I got a sneak peek into your life, I heard that you may have colored an arrow already. Is that correct? I've colored a couple arrows already. I also oh, shit. I also left one, left one go in the woods, too. So, uh, you know, we're not going to talk about that, but, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah, no, I, um, I I was able to get a couple does so far in Maryland. Uh, Maryland season started, I guess, about a week or so ago, and I got a couple doe, which was awesome. That is awesome. I did a little intro before this kind of introduced where I heard from you, and, you know, I haven't mentioned any names or anything, but Lane actually reached out to me from In the Presence, and he reached out on Instagram. We made a post about, hey, who are some of the local guys out there that, that nobody really knows about, like on the... I don't know, on like the podcast level or just on like a, a higher level that are just born killers in the outdoors. And you were one of the first ones that came up. So that's where we got you from. And besides that little introduction, as far as I know you, I want you to get in a little bit on your own introduction, just kind of introduce who you are, where you're from and uh, what you do for work. All right. Well, I mean, I already feel like I'm kind of, uh, that, that's a pretty big title of a born killer, but <laughs> Uh, my name is Jason Go, and um, I live in southeastern Pennsylvania um, in a little town called Holtwood, um, kind of along the Susquehanna River. And I'm an industrial electrician by trade. Uh, I went to trade school, and I've been doing that for a little over 20 years now. I'm married with two young children. I have a five, and, or sorry, an eight and a five-year-old. And uh, yeah, I just uh, you know how it is when you you work. Um, you know, you try to find what free time you can, but I try to spend a lot of it in the woods and. I, I do love I love archery hunting, uh, primarily for white-tailed deer. I do like spring turkey. And the last few years, I've gotten to things like uh, hunting sika deer on the eastern shore with my bow. And, you know, just anything outdoors. I like kayaking, blaking. I used to skateboard a lot. I'm into archaeology and uh, Native American artifacts. So, yeah, I have a lot of hobbies. But my, fa my top ones are, you know, hunting-related or outdoors-related for sure. That's freaking awesome, the archaeology part and... Uh you know, artifacts from Native Americans and whatnot. That's pretty cool. What's the coolest thing you've ever found? 
Well, when I, it was kind of funny. The town I grew up in is a little north of where I live now. It's a town called Washington Borough. Okay. And uh, that area is known for Native Americans. And when I was a little kid, I used to go walk around the farmer's fields and find artifacts. And um, people in the area knew I had a pretty good collection. Well, when I was about 14, I believe, 13 or 14, some archaeologists from the state, from Pennsylvania, um, were in the area and they wanted to see my collection. I don't know how they heard about it, but <laughs> they looked at my collection and it turned out I had found Clovis points, which are crazy rare. There's the, the, the points used to hunt woolly mammoths, mastodon. No they're about the oldest artifact. Yeah, they're about the oldest artifact you can find in the country. And I had found some. And uh, these guys were like in awe about this. Well, it kind of, they, they took me to a couple artifact shows and I went to some things to state. I ended up winning. They created an award for me. It was called the Shader George Youth Award for Archaeology. And they, I got, uh, named, I got that site named after me. It's the Jason Go site. And then, um, I also have, um, I, that same year, my buddy Jim Doubts and I, we kind of, uh, discovered or, or, uh, registered, I think it was like 14 or 15 other archaeology, archaeological sites that were all Native American artifacts. So it was, uh, pretty cool as a young teenager. It was kind of almost like Goonies, you know, like finding like a treasure, you know, it was pretty <laughs> exactly. awesome. Exactly. Dude, that is that is absolutely incredible. That's something that I never would have thought I uh, would have got into on this podcast with you. But I think that <laughs> stuff's so interesting and so incredible, especially you know the Native American uh, artifacts and whatnot, and and those points. I mean, holy crap, man! Right. Like, were they all right? Let's <laughs> let's bring it back to hunting then. You know, what do you think they were like? One fifties, two hundreds. What do you mean with the, the animals they were shooting? No. <laughs> I'm talking the point, uh, the actual field points. Oh, the, oh, the weights, the weights. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm sorry, they definitely weren't expandable or mechanical. That's for sure. Okay. Some of them are. Some of them do seem to have a single bevel, so I mean they are pretty trendy. Um, but <laughs> do you I mean, think I, they're, they're using uh, high FOC. That's what I want to know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, for, for sure. I mean, I guess I don't know. I mean, I think they use cane read a lot of times, and I didn't weigh the points, but I would assume that. It probably had a pretty high FOC. Um, you got to imagine you get a little more stability out of high FOC stuff, so it probably helped if their arrows were a little crooked or whatever. But they were probably yeah, I don't know. I have no idea. Arrows into those animals, like just <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what that's what's crazy to me is like being a hunter and and yeah. kind of tying my hobbies together. Like thinking of when you find like a point like that, and to think like the the life that individual. First of all, probably the first person to pick it up in. 10,000 years, but yeah, the idea incredible. that the person that made that was hunting to live and survive and the life they lived and the way the, the way the area looked, all that stuff just boggles my mind. I just think it's super cool. No, I'm right there with you. I I love making little jokes like that, but I mean, it is absolutely hilarious, <laughs> but I could only imagine trying to take down an animal like that with uh, yeah. archery equipment, especially the archery equipment they were using compared to yeah, what we crazy. complain about today, you know, that we don't have the best and fastest bow yeah. and whatnot <laughs> it's it just kind of funny when you bring it all back and it's it's humbling to see something like that that uh was yeah, around for, sure. for so many years like you said just laying around and, and you happen to stumble across it i mean who knows someone could have taken that thing and skipped it across a, a creek or something at one point and never knew what they had it's oh yeah incredible when every time the farmer plow those fields you know those plows like basically tear and break everything up so it's amazing it survives you know yeah yeah, well, that is awesome, dude. So you mentioned that you are from basically the Lancaster area. Is that accurate? I mean, from That's my correct. okay. So like from my side of the state, what we think of is basically on your side is like Harrisburg, Philadelphia, Lancaster, and that's pretty much it. That's like the only thing <laughs> we know, <laughs> you know. And yeah. uh, 
But I I see really good deer getting killed out of your area all the time. Every year it seems like it's it's outrageous. Yeah, the uh, I mean you're right. There's there's a couple of, uh, you know two or three larger cities in the area. I mean, they're good places to go eat or whatever, take your yeah. wife out. You know, but but um, everything in between, or a lot of in between, and even some of the stuff up against places like Philly. You know, you see like the Seek One guys. Um, there's similar situations around Philly, Baltimore, all these things where you know you can get into suburban hunting. The one guy we hunt with, uh, and into presence, Tim. He's actually on a few really good buck right now. They're like in a kind of an urban area. He actually was hunting a funnel the other day that was between a swimming pool and a trampoline. So, you know, like, <laughs> it was it was funny, but I mean, like, that's where the deer were following through to this yeah. spot, so uh, wow. he's still trying to get in on these bucks, but really the areas that I, that area I live, it's, um, it's pretty, it's a lot of farming, there's a lot of crop fields, and really, this section of the state, especially when you get, like, kind of uh, east of here, there's, it's a lot of real open fields and not a whole lot of woods, but, you know, so the, the patches of timber are smaller. But here, right where I live, right in this area, I consider it the River Hills. Uh, the Susquehanna River, which pretty much runs north to south through the state of Pennsylvania, everything along the, the river is kind of like a rolling. I was in Wisconsin and Buffalo County. I hunted there one time, and it was very similar to that. So I don't know if people know what that's about. But, you know, you get these hills. They're not mountains. They're hills that go from anywhere from maybe like 300 to 500 feet, in, you know, in elevation from the bottom to the top. And they go down to the river, uh, you know, come up off the river and kind of roll back and you get these drainage systems, streams and springs kind of along there. So you get a good mix of like rolling habitat and those chunks of woods around there hold some really big deer. And then again, there's little patches of woods that kind of east of here that are in the middle of a big field. You know, not many guys can probably have access to those pieces are usually private and, uh, you know, deer can get big in those areas as well. Yeah, I would say as I drive through that area, it looks like pretty much whitetail mecca land. I mean, it's just beautiful the way it's laid out with the ag fields and the real big, high, I mean, I guess some people that are from flat ground would call mountains, but you're right, they're they're basically just really big hills. Although, I mean, some of that stuff can get pretty nasty too. It, it's way up there. You're, you're driving oh, yeah. down, like say you're driving across on Interstate 80 or something and you start getting near the Susky. It starts getting pretty, uh, pretty steep in some areas. Pretty nasty. Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah for sure. I mean, if, if you get pretty much Harrisburg is the cutoff, in my opinion, or even just looking at the area where you get, it goes from kind of like rolling hills to actually what's considered mountains, like the Appalachian Mountains. The right. Appalachian Trail is just north of Harrisburg. And yeah, I mean, I'm not sure how high some of those mountains are up there, but uh, it gets, it's pretty steep and it's pretty big stuff. Yeah. So you're saying after that, it gets kind of more the the more or less rolling hills, not as quite as big and, and, and nasty. Yeah, pretty much from uh, like Harrisburg the whole way down to the Chesapeake Bay. Yeah. There's that kind of that rolling hill country along the river and that stuff there. Like I said, that's where I grew up, like hunting that kind of stuff. Uh, and that's, you know, it gave me good exposure to different kinds of terrain, how deer use terrain and that kind of thing. So that's a perfect segue then uh, to the first portion of this whole series is kind of the describing the area of land that you hunt. You know, we're in the Northeast region, you're in Eastern Pennsylvania, like you said, but maybe if you could get into what you're familiar hunting, is it that same type of terrain you're just now describing or do you travel a little bit and and hunt something a little different? Yeah, um, well, I I definitely hunt, like I said, the River Hills and there's sections of those river hills that drop down 
to the river where it gets very level mm-hmm. and it almost becomes like there's a, you know, I've cattail marshes and fried grass, um, swampy areas. So that gets almost like marsh, kind of like marsh country. I also do, uh, go up to the mountains and I say the mountains, like, uh, I go to the Pocono mountains and then up along the Appalachian trail. I hunt those mountains as well regularly, not probably uh, a dozen or so times a year. I'll go up there and, and, hunt the big woods but i have my most experience i guess probably i would say in the hill country areas and then uh it's probably tied for second between marsh habitat and mountain habitat i guess that's okay. probably about the mix that i hunt okay and i guess uh, another portion of that are you mostly focusing on private land or public land yeah um pretty much everything i hunt minus me like i i own where i live my house i, I live on nine acres that's my only private property I can hunt. Everything else I hunt is public. Everything else I hunt is public. I rarely might, like, I might have a friend who will say, like, hey, you know, you want to come to my farm and help kill a doe or two, that kind of thing. But it's super rare. In most cases, uh, I'm targeting public areas. Now, locally, that usually consists of, like, uh, anywhere from, like, a five to maybe 200-acre patch of public, an- public land. Now, when you go up to northern PA, you know, or northeastern PA, you obviously get the big woods. And you get some pretty giant pieces right. of public property there. Right, some big, big uh, woods there. Yeah, you know, and I guess, I mean, I don't know. These areas around here, these smaller, like some of them are super small. There's some that are only like two or three acres. They can get pressured pretty hard. It gets pretty nasty. Yeah. That's what usually pushes me to go north is that I get tired of dealing with uh, a bunch of people and confining property lines. And I like to go places I can roam and not have everybody around me. Do you think that's because it's closer to major city or or just because everybody in Pennsylvania pretty much hunts? Um, it's probably a little of both. I can say around, what was it, around 2008 or whatever, when we had like the um, economic stuff happen, yep. I noticed that people that would normally go north, they were forced, I guess, because there were limited resources or uh, whatever. I noticed a lot more pressure locally in like deer season and turkey season. Guys seem to stay more local then, but... Yeah, I mean, I guess because these areas are a lot more highly populated and, you know, the guys that want to go out after work for a couple hours, it's more convenient to go locally than it is to drive, you know, an hour or two to the mountains or whatever. Yeah, I mean, we see the same around here. And it's not to kind of play that game of private versus public. I, I don't like to give bonus points for people that hunt public, but public land in Pennsylvania is, you know, it's a different animal. I mean, we hunt it here. I hunted up my camp, kind of the same situation, which you're talking about. Big woods, public land, anybody can hunt there. It gets pressured really heavily. But just to give kind of the listeners an idea of what we're referring to here so they can relate, I guess, is is the whole reason behind that question. So you answered the pressure question. I guess the local stuff's more pressured than whenever you go north and you hunt the big woods. It just makes sense. Lower population up north, bigger woods, easier to get away from people. What other challenges would you say that you face in these areas? And and I kind of like this dialect between your local and your up north hunting because it's very relatable to what we do as well. I mean, other challenges, obviously, like finding areas that you can be confident in. I mean, that's always a challenge, mm-hmm. be it these small pieces of ground locally or the, the bigger areas up north. I mean, you know, I just don't go kind of take shots in the dark a lot of time. Um, I like to kind of, I, I personally like to do a lot of research Look at, I look at maps a lot. I work a 12 hour swing shift at my job and, you know, in the middle of the night, I'll be sitting at break just looking at like my maps and just trying to figure out where the next hotspot could be. And, um, 
locally a challenge, you know, is even you find these pieces of ground just because you find, you know, a, a hundred acre piece of public property, A, it might be pressured like crazy, but also, you know, is, is there something there worth hunting? You know, like I like to try to target bigger, you know, slightly older age class animals. And, um, you know, they're just not everywhere. You know, you just don't go everywhere and find that. I do try to stay realistic. Um, you know, I, I don't usually plan on shooting a 180, you know, around my house. It just, they don't happen. They happen very rarely, you know. But um, something over 120 is definitely a good deer for most areas I hunt. And that becomes a realistic goal for me a lot. That's kind of what I shoot for. But, yeah, I mean, up north, the another challenge is, like, just access. One thing I really like to do is I, I, one thing I try to pride myself in is really creative accessing properties. I'll use canoes, kayaks, boats, bikes. Um, I'll do whatever I can to do something different. Um, as long as it's legal, I'll do something different to access a piece of ground. And that can be a challenge, yes, but if you look at, you know, when you're looking at your maps, if you see that everybody's probably coming in from the east and you can find a way to get in from the west, you're already a leg up over most people. You know, that's the kind of things I look for. So if and hopefully when they do legalize like e-bikes in Pennsylvania, do you think that's something you would utilize to access? I, I try to, there's a level, in my opinion, there's a level of um, kind of like where technology starts to kind of push the limits. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, even even for me, like cell cameras, I don't have a problem with people using those, but I do like, if somebody has like a tight, like a tight funnel at their house and they see, they have a cell camera that told them a big buck walked through there this morning yeah. and then they go, they go in that night and they kill it. It was legal. It was ethical. I get it, but I just feel like it robbed the experience. So the e-bike, the e-bike thing to me, like I, I can appreciate it. And I think as I get older, I probably appreciate something I don't have to pedal the whole time. Um, so I'm not going to say I'll never use an e-bike, but I, where I'm at right now, the feeling of earning what I get is, is really uh, rewarding to me. And I feel like certain things rob that, you know, and I don't, I'm, I don't want to do that right now. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I've seen on your Instagram, you're, you're the crazy one that works a 12 hour shift and goes out and kayaks the call <laughs> down afterwards, you know, <laughs> it's like, it's like yeah. you just tick differently. So I get that dude. And you know, we talked about it on the last episode. I think that we did um, Austin and I about cell cams because I recently did buy some and, you know, I agree with you 1000%. I would never use them in that aspect of, oh, there's a buck here now. I got to get going and go kill it. That's just not it. But, you know, for the most part, we're Saturday warriors as we recalled ourselves because we don't get many Sundays here in PA. Yep. In fact, we only get two. (laughs) So, uh, (laughs) you know, what I thought was the best use for cell cams in my personal situation is to go all week long where I'm kind of collecting data while I can't put the time in in the woods because of work. And that's kind of a shame, but you know, in reality, it's kind of have to do my scouting for me, for me to have a higher success rate, I would think. Well, no, that's, that's awesome. I mean, like even regular cameras, people use them to try to gain knowledge and intel, right? Uh, And I I don't have a problem with that. I, I mean, I'm sure you've done it too, where you put a regular trail camera out and you, you're all excited to pull it. Maybe it's been out for two months soaking at a spot, and you're excited to get that camera, and you go find it, the batter, something didn't work right, or a bear knocked it over, you know, two days into it or whatever, yeah. and you never got it. So that, to me, like, is where cell cams shine, you know, is that the ability to know that your camera's working and you're, you're pulling data like you should be for the amount of time you decided to leave that camera there. Yeah. I, 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 I like that. I respect it. it I mean, um, 
I've, I've talked about getting them. I have, um, I have about a half dozen cameras, no cell cameras right now, but it's like where I hunt up north, it's about two and a half, three hours away. Mm -hmm. So for me to, it's not like the kind of thing where I can just go pull, do, you know, camera card, you know, do a card pull quick. It's a, it's a big to do. I wish I had two or three cell cams or more up there. Like you said, pulling, like doing the scouting for me just to kind of see what's going on. Yep. I agree. Same thing with uh, where my camp is. It's almost two hour drive away and it would be nice to get one up there if I could find one that worked with the cell coverage. That's the only problem I have right now. So I bought one with Verizon <laughs> coverage, hoping that's going to work. And we shall see because I have one that's been up there. I mean, non-cell camera that's been up there since January and I haven't pulled it since. So hoping that has some interesting stuff. But what we typically do up there in the big woods too is we'll just leave one go, let it sit for pretty much an entire year and don't check it. Problem with that is, like last year, you go and check it, and guess what? Camera's gone. Someone stole oh, it. Man. So you just let it that's soak a... for somebody else for an entire year, and that really gets under my skin. Oh, that's the worst. Yeah, people, I, I just can't stand people being unethical. That just bothers the heck out of me. Yeah. Oh. It, it's, the, it's unreal, man. The, and, when you leave your camera out like that for a long period of time, is that usually like a new area you're trying to gain intel, or is that an existing spot you just want to know what's around? It is typically um, new areas that we're trying to gain intel on without my own human pressure in there. So yep. I know for even a local spot, I did that a couple years ago. I put a camera in a new area close to where I usually hunt, but I, I always wanted to try. You know, it's one of them spots. Everybody has a couple of them spots where they, they really want to try it and they look at it, it looks so good, whether it's public land, private land piece. It's like, you know what? Screw it. I'll just put a camera in there for an entire year. I won't go in there and hunt it. I'll hunt my other spots that I know are good. And then next year, I'll pull it and see what I see. And I pulled it and I had all these bucks on it. I mean, all these great pictures. Oh. You know, and I gained all this intel. So the next year, Austin and I went in and, you know, he basically, you know, he had some of those dates in which I had bucks moving in daylight. He went in and killed a buck the next year. That's awesome. That's yeah, so awesome. Right. And that's what we we try to do when we when we leave them up all year round is we just try to gain that intel so you can hope to use some some kind of historical data, especially up in the big woods where deer move a lot. They're, you know, they're they're constantly from this spot to this spot to that spot based on food changes and and pressure changes and everything else. So, that's the end goal, but yeah, that's that's basically what I do it for. That's awesome. Yeah. So, next I, I kind of want to, and I put this on here and I sent it to you. I want to know a little bit more about your hunter, and I'm going to air quote, resume. So <laughs> I, <laughs> I just want to, you know, just talk and, and touch on more of, of kind of the hunter you are and and what your strengths are in the woods and, and whatnot. But maybe you can touch on a little bit of what, you, you know, your successes looked like over the last five or ten years. And I want you to get into all animals, you know, Sika and... Uh, you know, whitetail and and everything else, you know, deer related that that you've been, because uh, I, I know you have a pretty Im impressive resume, if you want to call it. <laughs> well, all right. I guess I, I've, I've been hunting for almost 30 years. I'm 40 years old. So um, I started hunting like most people in Pennsylvania when I turned 12. It took me three years to kill my first deer. Um, I killed a deer, uh, a, a pretty decent eight point when I with a bow in the Poconos. That was my first deer. And since then, you know, I kind of got hooked, right? But then, you know, through like high school and I went to trade school and, and all of that, you know, especially in high school, hunting was more casual to me. But sometime around like uh, my late teens, early 20s, my love for the outdoors meshed with the hunting and it just became, archery hunting especially became more of a passion for me. Like just, 
I wanted to be out. I wanted to learn more. I know that I was uh, like just reading like deer and deer hunting magazine, and I was then some other just other article like magazines and watching hunting shows, and just I wanted to learn more about it. I wanted to become better at it because my my dad he's a great outdoorsman, a really awesome outdoorsman. He he's super his his woodsmanship's up there with anybody else, but he's kind of a casual hunter. He just likes to go out and like you know if he kills a deer, cool, but he doesn't like push you know like push to to get to be better or I don't know and I always I wanted to get better at it it's just something I wanted to do so in my 20s I really started trying to, to learn more and gain more knowledge and I did notice that you know I was able to get on better deer bigger deer and finally start killing decent deer I didn't kill a, a good buck till in 2004 when I killed my first good deer and then um then I kind of you know just try to repeat that process but always still trying to learn that's my big thing is like I'm I try to stay humble you know I appreciate the title like you know, killer and stuff. But <laughs> in the end of the day, like I try to like always be learning. Um, I try to surround myself with people who are like-minded that, you know, have unique, op- or unique ways of doing things. I try to learn from them and I, I, maybe they'll learn from me. That's cool too. But, um, yeah. So, you know, I, I started getting on some good deer in my, tw- in my in early twenties. Also my, where I work, I'm off two weeks a month and I work 12 hour swing shift. So I got a lot more free time after, you know, I got a full-time job and I have a very patient wife who lets me hunt a lot. She calls herself a hunting widow from pretty much, um, you know, September, September to January. So she gets it. She's cool. Uh, but yeah, so I, I don't, I like to, uh, I like to try to, uh, be, you know, use that woodsmanship that I have and use that in, you know, in my hunting, I try to learn like what trees, deer are targeting as far as, oak, you know, oaks, oak types or, uh, you know, mass trees, um, browse, that kind of thing. I try to, you know, think outside the box a lot with the way I do things. Like I said, my axis is I try to be really creative the way I access stuff. And, um, I don't know. I, I'm not sure how many deer, like how many deer I've killed or those kind of, I don't keep like that kind of well, count of stuff. No. And I, and that's, that's kind of not the whole point of, I guess the, the actual question itself. And the more I think about it as I sit here and trying to come up with a, a way to do this series and break it down by each section, I, I kind of want to give the listener, you know, a little bit of background, who you are and, you know, the area kind of what you hunt and then go into more or less of, you know, <laughs> there's a lot of people out there that yeah, they they like to talk about themselves. If I was to mm-hmm. answer the same question, it'd be very hard for me to do it as well, because it is kind of an awkward thing when hunting is such an, a humbling experience and, and such a humbling sport that we participate in. Yeah. So I, I get it. I totally get it. But, I get, you know, I, I, I also want to tell people out there that, you know, you're on the show because you are very successful. That's why we have you on this series. Like, you have been. And you can be humble about it because I appreciate that. And But, mm-hmm. you know, there are people out there that, that think the highest of you. And that's why <laughs> we have you on. And I think that's awesome. Well, I appreciate that. Um, yeah, I mean, I definitely, like, I definitely love it. And I, I tried, I, I'm trying to think of, like, ways to talk about what I do. Um, you know, it's hard to think about what I do differently. I, I can tell you, like, I, I've grown as a hunter for sure. Like, um, like I said, I originally used to um, be very, like, hang on stands and, and have pre-hung stuff and only go to a certain amount of spots. I had, I, I, I had um, hang ones in these certain spots that I go to every year. And that was, like, in my teens. You know, they're, they're just the areas I went to with my dad. But as I grew as a hunter, I started to learn how to read maps and, and branch out and find new areas. And there was a period of time in my late teens, early twenties, where I had a whole pile of, of, of hang on stands 
and I, I had spots all over the state. I mean, I had like 30 tree stands scattered all over PA and you know, I, it was overwhelming to prep these spots, first of all, but also like, you know, you try to, uh, try to spread your time up, hunt those spots and you weren't even hunting half the spots, but being that we hunt pressured stuff, like we talked about, you know, when you have a pile of spots, you, you, by the time the season gets here and after a couple of weeks, you learn where everybody's going and you can almost write off a third of those spots right off the bat. Like, okay, those areas are pressure or hammer. Don't, you know, waste your time there. But, um, you know, so that's what I do with it. How it spots. But, um, as I got kind of more like focused on better deer, I stopped just hunting everywhere and started thinking about where, what areas were truly productive for what I was looking for. And anymore now I kind of hunt less areas, but I have several spots in those good, good areas. You know what I mean? Right. So I don't, I don't, I don't really, um, I don't have a 30 tree center of the state. I have like 20 spots in a few areas, but yeah, I guess I'm trying, I guess I got off topic a little bit about my, like my history. No, that's um, fine. Think of, no like, so I, so you're more of a mobile hunter now than what you used to be. I mean, you kind of gone through that whole progression of what I call, you know, a Pennsylvania hunter, more or less. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I always, I always had, um, when I first started dating my wife, she, she bought me, I think it was for my birthday, um, a, a climbing tree stand. <laughs> and I, up to that point, I had only had used like a ladder tree stand. So that's when I started being quote mobile a little bit um and so for years i kind of had a couple pre-hung stands and then a bunch of pre-hung stands i always had that climber kind of in my back pocket where i'd move around and try different spots today like today for sure i have a couple very light mobile setups with you know like a hang on and sticks or different step types uh i really like hand climber a lone wolf hand climber and then um you know then i have i do still use a free a few pre-hung stands in certain areas that seem to excuse me, that seem to be productive. Yeah. Now, are those hung in kind of the areas like the your typical pinch points or rut spots or just kind of like favorite places that have been successful year over year? It, it can be It can be both. You know, you talked about how you, you were looking for like new areas to try. Yep. I do the same thing with, um, I'll, sometimes I'll do like set up, set pre young stands for observation type sets where I'll watch over kind of a, a mountainside or like a, you know, a, a creek bottom or whatever. Yeah, so like some of the pre young some of those might be that from observation. I mean, you have maybe a slight expectation of shooting something out of those trees, but you don't, you don't know, it's not your, necessarily your main goal. But, um, you know, yeah, a lot of the pre hung stands that I do are spots that have proven consistent for years, you know, and there, there's those, you know, those kind of game shows you see in the big woods, like maybe on a bench where you know that even if buck A that you've been after for two years is dead or died of old age or whatever, you know, the buck B, C, and D will still, as they move through that area, though, there's certain places they'll walk, there's certain areas they'll bed, and, you know, those are the things that I try to target, you know, like with those pre-hung stands. It, you know, when you get into some of the places in the big woods where it's like, you know, a few miles to get back in, or maybe you've got a kayak and then climb a mountain, um, it's, it is pretty sweet to have a stand there waiting for you. You know, it's like, okay, cool, one last thing I got to do today. Yeah. But... I mean, I will say this, and it's something I've noticed uh, the last few years is that I have walked past some super hot sign to go to a pre-hung stand only to not see deer. And I knew in the back of my head I should have, if I would have had a mobile set up that day, I probably would have set up on the hot sign and been better off, I'm sure. Man, and so that's, as, that, that's as I phenomenal. evolve, you know, and as you evolve as a hunter, like as I evolve anyway, like I, you kind of get that, you gain that knowledge like, hey man, wake up, like stop walking over you know, a good, a good scrape line or whatever, you know, a bunch of fresh tracks or fresh poop, whatever it is, 
to go to a spot that you like hung back in March or whatever that isn't going to produce for you. Yeah, that is absolutely so, yeah. excellent advice, and that's that's probably one I haven't even thought about from the fixed standpoint that I know I've done a million times. You, you walk past some really good stuff, you know, oh, hey, look, fresh rub, and, and look at all this feeding sign, but my stand's another half a mile, better get going, and, and like you <laughs> said, you do that, and some of it also, the way that I was thinking about this as you were saying it, it, it could also be that deterrent, well, this is just too close to the truck. I, I oh, can't yeah. hunt here. You know, there, it's too close. It's You're not going to see, this is all nighttime. You're not going to see deer. And sometimes those spots can be the best too. For sure. I have probably about a third of the spots I have in Maryland, particularly where I'm hunting right now, are within sight of the road or the parking lot or a hiking trail. Yeah. And yesterday, the, the doe I killed yesterday, I watched a mountain biker go by from 25 yards away on the trail. He rode past. And, um, you know, I was like, there goes a guy. Cool. About five minutes later, the deer came across the trail, down over the hill to me, and I was able to get a shot at the one. So, you know, people probably walk by and think, no way, I'm going to sit by this trail. And it worked out, you know. So I agree 100%. You know, you sometimes walk past, hot sign by the parking lot to go to that spot two miles back, only to know you should have probably sat by the parking lot. <laughs> There's one spot in a local game lands here that's a small game lands. I, I don't even know, maybe 80 acres. I don't know how many it is, but it, it's something that I've looked at year after year and told myself I was going to do, but I haven't done it yet. I went and scouted it. I think it was like turkey season. And there's one spot where you park on this game lands. That's the main one. Everybody walks. And then there's the main trail that goes back in and it goes back to some fields in the back. Well, as you go back there, there's like a high rise wall there. It sits and overlooks the trail coming in. And of course, there's deer beds. I mean, literally all over that little edge there. There's there's a couple good ones, big, big beds. And hair mm-hmm. in it and everything. And then there's a little escape route that comes right down over the backside of the hill. Down cuts <laughs> through the corner of the private, back onto the public, across the road, and, and out the backside into across the, the street, which is extremely thick and nasty. And I have said it for three years now. That I was going to hang over that escape route trail. I mean, it is just absolutely pounded into the ground. 30 yeah, yards you know. from the parking lot. I want to hang on that trail and get there super early and wait for that first guy that walks in right down that trail and bumps that deer out the back door. And I have to I'm sure it'd be amazing too when we come through there. And that's one of the things where I think what I need to do to convince myself, and this is where I, I like trail cameras. I think I need to put a trail camera up on that exact trail and watch and see if I'm correct or not. And then I'll move in. But that's that's like the it's in the back of my head all the time. Same thing. It's it's that doubt in new spots that sometimes I'm afraid to go to different spots because I know what I can get somewhere else. I don't know if you run into that a lot when you're hunting yeah. and you're trying, you know, big woods or new areas. You know, I don't have that so much in the big woods up my camp, but these little local spots where I know the pinch points, I know these little areas that are good. I don't seem to get too creative locally as I would if I travel and I go into big woods. And I don't know what that is, but what what would you say, you know, if, I mean, if that was your experience or not? I, I agree with kind of what you're saying. And I mean, I, I will say that a lot of times, at least the, the smaller patches of woods that I hunt locally, that, you know, it, it is easy to get a little kind of, I guess not necessarily sloppy, but a little lax in certain things. But a lot of times these deer in these smaller areas 
are getting hammered by pressure way harder than you know the deer in the big woods, and it takes even more creativity and more like outside the box thinking a lot of times to get some of these local deer dead, you know, to kill some of these local deer because everybody's going after them. You know, a lot of guys going after them. The deer know uh, what they got to do to get away from people because they deal with people all the time. You know, so it's kind of I feel I feel like it's you know it's good to think outside the box and try what you can with anywhere really, but I, I wouldn't. If there's something you think in the back of your head, like that little voice, you know, that you hear that you're talking about, <laughs> I try to listen to that because that, I mean, it, it does prove to be right a lot, you know, yeah. and I don't, I don't know if that harkens back to those arrowheads and, you know, eons of us hunting things that, you know, that little voice would talk that's talking, but there's definitely that inner voice that helps a lot of times. I, I like that. I like the thought on that. And I, I think you're right. I, I would agree that the deer locally and it's a very similar, we have a very similar situation. You know, our deer locally are pretty well pounded when it comes to pressure here. And they definitely, I would say you, to get a really good one, especially on these, these public lands that are just crushed with pressure, you probably do need to do something crazy like that. You know, five feet off the road, hanging, watching cars drive underneath you until <laughs> that buck finally gets up and walks off that hillside and to cross the road from you know, somebody coming out of the woods early or somebody going in to, to get set up. I think that it might be the, well, and, uh, you might've convinced me. Well, and a lot of times too, like when I considered a lot of pressure in Pennsylvania, then I started hunting Maryland about four years ago. And I went to some of the local, when I say local, the, the stuff that's maybe within an hour of my house, pieces of public area in Maryland. And a lot of the pressure that you see down there are other Pennsylvania hunters. Um, actually a lot of times more than Maryland guys, but what I considered pressured in PA, then I went to Maryland and I was like, holy crap. Like some of the places down there, it was insane. Like where I was, I would leave an area in Pennsylvania if there was more than two cars in the parking lot. Yeah. Down there, yeah. You, you show up and there's 10 cars and you're like, what's going on? But um, that forced me to kind of like rethink how I hunted. And um, it also forced me to start, and you hear this from other people too, like to actually almost hunt the, the hunters. And I, I don't mean actually go after them, but I mean like, learn their habits, learn what these guys are doing. So what I ended up doing a lot of times down in Maryland, and now I've since doing it in PA is I pay attention to where guys are going. I pay attention to where, um, you know, where the people sign is, you know, tacks or ribbons, uh, fresh cut stuff or like shooting lanes. And if you can, I mean, a lot of times you got to go, it's kind of a roundabout way of figuring it out, but if you can eliminate chunks of that area, where the that because guys are, are hammering those certain areas for whatever reason, easy access, a big rub along a hiking trail that you know attracts everybody, whatever it is, uh, then you find the the gaps where people aren't going, and that's what you look for. You know that sometimes those gaps are only a, you know an acre or two, you know briar thicket, you know beside the parking lot or, or whatever. But that's where I've I've done really well down there, and and I've done and like I said, I brought that mentality back to TA. And some of these local areas around here now that I had walked away from because of, quote, pressure, and I've gone back. And, you know, a lot of times the creative thinking or the thing outside the box, um, it doesn't necessarily mean, like, you know, skydiving into a, a tree. It could, that would work, I mean, I guess. But, um, That's a great uh, idea. My, 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 <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's always like it hung up in the tree. But, um, no, my, my point is, is, like, as long as you're doing something different than the, ever, the everybody else, the average guy, if everybody else is just, walking in on one, you know, one entry route and just walking, you know, and they're just, they're walking in. If you can bike in and go a little further than them, you're going to be better off. 
if you can find a different route and walk in just a different way, you're going to be better than everybody else a lot of times. So, you know, being creative doesn't necessarily mean like going to extremes. It just means figuring out what everybody else is doing and doing it a little different, you know, or going a little further or staying a little closer, those kinds of things. I would agree with you 100%. And, you know, it's it's definitely something that we do as well as far as patterning people rather than deer. And it's kind of a bummer because, you know, if if you are that Saturday hunter, you're that weekend guy, you maybe even a Friday, Saturday hunter, it's tough because you're not sure where other people have been Monday through Thursday. You know what I mean? So, Ooh, it's kind of, that's, that, I guess it goes back to what I said, you know, maybe in the last episode and earlier today, you know, trail cameras, cell cams, you know, I have a spot right now that I'm seeing deer in daylight. And then all of a sudden, guess what? Some guys were riding quads through there right at dusk. And now the deer are coming out at night. So that's something that I can pick up on. I know there's pressure in there. It's different pressure, but it still has pushed back those deer from coming out to that spot you know, maybe 30 minutes. So maybe I need to be a little closer to where they're bedding. Uh, stuff like yep. that. I, I really appreciate out of the cell cams. I put a camera up last year and another tactic I use in the big woods. I put a camera up right on the main trail, right where everybody walks in and out. I just wanted to get an idea and I left it the whole season, never touched it. I wanted to know how many people were coming in and out and kind of which way they were going. And then I hung, hung another camera, probably a hundred yards past that on a little game trail that came off the main trail where not a lot of people were going, and it was funny. I had all the people on that first trail camera on that main road, and they were just kind of crossing, going one spot, not a single person on the other one. So that told me that, you know, and of course, where were the deer coming from and where were the deer mostly? On that other camera. So that gives me good intel when I checked that, you know, back in January, February after the season. uh, That was a huge help for me. For sure. I mean, that, you know, knowledge is power, right? That's, I and mean, that's awesome. Uh, I, I've done some little tricks, like one area where, you know, you're walking along a hiking trail that's flanked on both sides by, by briar thicket. And then there's one spot where you kind of can get into that area to get around some of those, those green briar. I've already have put a, a, a limb from a below down across that blocking it. When I left, like on like a, you know, a Tuesday or whatever, and I was hunting, whatever it was, the next time I came back, I wanted to check if that, that limb was still in the way. If it yeah. was, I assumed no one went through there. If it was moved, I knew someone had been back there. You know, I, or I've already used my foot and like brushed dirt, like cleared leaves off like a, um, a less used hiking trail or maybe like a, you know, I really, uh, an access into a certain spot to check for, for footprints, you know, human footprints or deer footprints, but just to get, to gauge if people have been in there. You know, I agree. You know, trail cameras are great for that. You can also use little tricks, you know, little, kind of woods tricks to kind of figure out where people have been. I, a few years ago on the first day of PA archery season, you know how that is, you know, the pressure, everybody kind of wants to get out and hunt, right? Well, there was a spot super deep in in this piece of public. And I wanted my brother to go back there because the wind was setting up perfect for, for deer to bed on this kind of this point uh, with the south wind we had. So I wanted my brother to go back. I wanted to see my brother kill a deer and he started back the trail and we weren't sure if anybody had been back there. And I told him, I said, pay attention. If you walk through cobwebs, you know you're the first person back there. So, you know, that's stuff yep. that some people wouldn't think about. But, I mean, we all deal with that walking through and getting a face full of cobwebs, you know, on, a, on a, a hiking trail. If you're the guy doing that, you know you're the first person back there at least that day. So that's what my brother used, to, and he got back in there, and he was on deer. So it was pretty cool. But, you know, another trick to kind of keep in your head, you know, like 
you know, let nature kind of help you out too sometimes. Yeah, and that's why you also use your buddies and you let them walk in front of you, so they're the ones that get all the laughs. <laughs> I, I use well, that one quite often. <laughs> I just got my my friend Mitch, who I hunt with a lot. He we were just scouting today before this rain. Uh, he gave me crap because he's about four inches taller than me, and about not knocking the cobwebs down. I'm like, dude, they're the t- the tall ones. I can't get them. You know, <laughs> I'm not I'm, I'm not six two like you, but um, yeah, yeah I, I know what you mean. <clears throat> Those are little tips and tricks I really like. And I appreciate that, you know, you're basically doing the same thing without the use of um, mechanical devices such as trail cams, which I appreciate and never really would have thought of it doing it that way, you know, putting a simple something. And I, I, I have done it to an extent where, you know, I would, I did it one time. I put a, you know, like a, I took three sticks and I made a teepee right in the center of the trail. Cause you know, <laughs> if someone walks past that, they're going to knock that damn thing down. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> right. That's, just, so, <laughs> that's like a, to- a toddler and everybody. They can't have that tower standing. Right, exactly. Someone's gonna walk up to that, and and one person out of their group's gonna kick the thing over for sure. So I've done that before, and it it's worked. It's let me know other people were in there, but I kind of like the brushing away. And I've also seen, you know, like hunting public, they'll they'll scrape a line in the road and see if uh, you know if someone's tracks come across it like their vehicle tracks and whatnot come across it. I, yeah, there you go. Yeah, that, That's also a good one. But all right, man. Well, excellent. I mean, we kind of touched on all of this that I really wanted to get to, and we're getting up there a little bit on time, but we're still okay. So we've kind of dug into your tactics um, and, and whatnot, but I I kind of want to know what, you know, what areas kind of terrain that you would say you're most familiar with or your your strongest point is when hunting, you know, where have you had the biggest success? Is it big woods? Is it these hills? Is it, you know, ag? Where, where would you say you are most familiar with? I, my most, I'm most familiar, familiar with a little bit of, a little bit of terrain, a little bit of topography. I, uh, when I hunt the Eastern shore for Sika, for instance, or whitetail and it's flat, it's a little more difficult. I definitely feel like a fish out of water at times. So I'm definitely, I need a, I like to have a little bit of role in the habitat and terrain because I've, I've grown up learning how deer use terrain, you know, like, perfect. you know, fun, saddles, funnels, that kind of thing. I, because I grew up in these smaller river hills, you know, it's kind of, uh, it's like the same thing you see in the big woods just kind of shrunk down a little bit. So I use the same, I, I look for the same things in the big woods I do in these, on these hills, uh, locally, I just, obviously sometimes, you know, instead of climbing a, a hundred foot hill, it's 500 feet or whatever, but you know, things like benches, saddles are all, you know, uh, I, I really like finding like drainages on like steep hillsides, uh, because you know, the deer either go low or high to get around that, especially if there's a lot of rock or stuff or whatever in those drainages. But my favorite thing to hunt, I, I really love finding is I like finding thickets near the tops of hills where You'll get buck bedding on the edge of those thickets a lot of times, like the points that come off there. But what it really does is it attracts doe bedding. And I love, I love sitting the down, I've had a lot of success hunting downwind edges of doe bedding, um, like during the rut. Um, but in general, bedding, I like to find that on the, on these points, uh, on this, you know, and obviously there's terrain. Yeah. Like I said, when it, when you're down the eastern shore and it's flat, You'll get points that are made by like softer transition stuff, like habit or um, you know, like thickets or like frag grass edges um, or holly, where you get like you know, kind of like the 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 um the, the tree types or whatever. It what makes the points or the areas where these deer bed. But 
I'm best where I have some terrain. Okay, so when you say thickets on top of hills, what what would you say is your preference there? Are you talking mountain laurel thickets? Or are you talking a clear-cut thicket? Are you talking briar thicket? What would you say is like your, your go-to? All, all of those would work. I, okay. They're all great in their own way. I, I, I like, like, one of the issues I have with like a clear-cut thicket is, depending how old a clear-cut thicket is, it can be both bedding and food. Correct. And it's, it's tough sometimes to get deer to necessarily come out of that. So when I have like a clear cut, sometimes you got to go actually into it because, you know, you're not, the edge of it won't get you far because you're living in there. They're bedding, eating, everything they do is in there for the most part. You know, so a clear cut thicket, it works great. And you can set the downwind edge of it for sure. Cause a lot of times if it's, if it's really thick stuff on a clear cut, the path of least resistance is that, you know, maybe that open hardwoods on the downwind edge, downwind edge where you get like a buckle cruise during the rut to send check it. Yeah. So that, that's, that could be productive, but, I'm mostly looking for like um, a lot of like laurel or, or briars. You know, the stuff is really hard to walk through um, where a buck wouldn't really want to cut through if he didn't have to. I feel like that kind of, that, that works best for me. Um, laurel, like some of the laurel thickets, yes, can have oaks growing in them. And then you get almost the same thing you'd have like with a, like a, a clear cut where deer have very little reason to leave that thicket. They have food in there. But, I, you know... I think just like people, deer sometimes get bored eating the same thing, doing the same thing. And I, I think they have, they want to come out of there at times. As long as there's not people outside there, you know, trying to kill them every day, you know, the pressure or whatever, they, 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 there's good reason for them to leave those thickets, you know, to get other food sources or to just move around like they do for the woods, you know? Yeah, I've, I, and that was kind of the point behind my question is because I know there's a difference in especially what's on top because it can create that food rather than just that hard edge where they can be inside. And, you know, the tough parts about some of the mountain laurel that we have, too, is you'll find those openings within them, and it might be only 50 yards wide, you know, and they're like little holes or circles inside. And, of course, there's always like one or two oak trees in there that are dropping acorns. And when I find that, I think it's just absolute gold. But I put a camera up last year, and I had some deer. But, man, to be honest, the bears kind of ruled it. They were the ones that were in and out all the time eating the acorns in those little holes in the Mount Laurel. I thought it would have been better for deer, but I come to find where all the rubs and all the sign was on the edges, right on the point, just like you're saying, you know, uh, yeah. all around the hill. Yeah, there's black bear. They love those laurel thickets, but I, I mean, I'm still trying to kill one of those things. But yeah. the deer, I've learned, I've learned too that, and I've seen that too, where you get into a laurel thicket, you bushwhack to go from A to B and you find, you know, something in that laurel thicket that makes you want to get in there and hunt. I find that I do more damage than good trying to get into those thickets. Even if there is something in there worth hunting, the noise I make trying to get into that, um, it's just, it, it, it just wrecks it for me. Yeah. I found that staying on the edge is, it is conservative maybe in some ways, but um, <clears throat> I feel like you can get more productive sits that way out of it. And I really like finding like on Laurel, like on Laurel thickets, for instance, you know, you, they often make like there's a clear edge between the Laurel and the hardwoods or whatever. But if you can find little areas, like little peninsulas that come out off of those, or like uh, maybe a little cluster of laurel that sticks out from the rest of them, that's those little chunks that those bigger bucks that I found like to bed in. Because they, if they get deep in that laurel, they're kind of some of their senses are, are you know are, are numbed or whatever. They can't see as far. Um, you know they are protected. I mean the odds of something coming in there after them is probably pretty slim, but they can't see. And I, I feel like that they don't like that. I, I think yeah. I think they have to look around a little more and see more. 
and they get that wind at their back coming out of the thicket and they look out what's in front of them and it's almost bulletproof. I mean, if you get, you know, like they're on the high ground, they have a cross or roller bedding beside and they got that roll thicket behind them. Nothing's coming from their backside. They smell it and they can see everything in front of them. I mean, killing a deer like that, when you find those beds, you got to respect those deer. You're, you're just you're like, man, this thing is smart. Yep. Like they just got it figured out. And, you know, that's where you got to look at where you can get them maybe down the ridge a little further, you know, if they move from that bed to feed on a, an oak flat, maybe there's a pinch point or something there or whatever, you know? Yeah, you are describing to a T some of the spots that we hunt and the same experiences that I've gone through. And I agree with you 100%. You know, when you get into those thickets and those laurels and whatnot, and I've never hunted inside them, I've, I've hung cameras just to see what's going on. I agree with you. Um, one, there's not like two or three, typically from there, there's not two or three clear escape routes. So, what I've seen is what you're saying, those deer will sit, and especially those bucks, they will literally lay right on the edge of that mountain laurel with the mountain laurel to their back. And typically, like you're saying, the wind blowing from the mountain laurel to them and they're watching the open woods. And I think it was last year or the year before we were rifle hunting. It was it was either the second day or, you know, that first weekend after there's been some pressure and people been kicking around quite a bit. And we started walking around this edge of this mountain laurel and it was up on top and then there was like a bull. And then it came up on the other side. And again, the Mount Laurel kind of went in and then came back out around on the other point. And sure as shit, man, I got up and as soon as I crested that hill and I, I was coming in from one of the only main parking areas and access points. As soon as my head peaked that hill, two big bucks jumped up from across the hillside. They were laying opposite of me up against the Mount Laurel looking my way. And as soon as they see me, they took off straight down the hill into the abyss i mean gone like over the hill gone forever down towards you know x name creek that i can't mention but (laughs) (laughs) ultimate safety and it was just amazing it was an eye-opener like because you walk that edge and it was the first time back there it was a new area for me i'm walking that edge and i'm you know seeing all this sign there's just rubs and scrapes and all this feeding sign and there's droppings and then i'm i'm like marking it on onyx and going through and i'm kind of just having a great time scouting and I'm really hunting with a gun, but you know, for me, that's just kind of a more or less walk in the woods, figure out new areas up there anyhow. And, uh, yeah, sure. Shit. There they were. Those two really nice bucks, big eight points. And I think a couple doe were laying with them and they were just doing exactly what you mentioned. Now, one nice thing about that, and I've bumped deer all the time too, um, is I try to, when that happens is I try to like at that moment, document everything I can that I learned at that moment about those deer. I mean, I would, I would look at the weather and drop milkweed and see which way is the wind blowing what's the forecast of wind and which actual wind, because you know how that is in the big woods or anywhere oh, yeah. there's terrain that can be different time of day. Uh, because like a few years ago, I, I was scouting in Maryland in preparation for the, you know, the opening of the season, the opening of the season. And it was like, I think it was August, maybe late July. And I bumped two buck off, off this point that were bedded in the middle of the day. And I took a second. I noted everything I could about it. And it just so happened the first day of the season, we had the same forecast initially in the morning, but around two, three PM, it was supposed to actually start turning as the weather system was coming in. So I thought, well, I'm going to try to get in there in the evening and maybe catch them coming off that, that point And, Maybe if that wind does shift, they'll get up and move even earlier, you know, when the wind shifts. Sure as shit, I went down there after night shift. I, I worked all night, was tired, 
I actually, my plan was to get into the tree at like two in the afternoon and then sleep for like two hours and then, and then maybe hunt the evening. You know, like I was going to sleep in my tree stand. That was my plan. I got in that tree and I was in the tree 20 minutes. I was just getting comfy to take my nap and I heard a stick break and I turned around and I'm not sure, hundred percent sure of the same two buck, but two buck were coming to me at just about 3 PM full velvet coming to me. And I, I killed the one wow. and it worked out perfect. I mean, like I couldn't believe how it came together, you know, bumping in my other beds, seeing that. And w- w- the reason I, I know the reason they got up was that, at that moment when I shot, I could feel the wind had changed. That wind shift they were forecasting had come. Those deer, I assume, were moving to relocate. To, they probably would have rebedded before, you know, they would have got up to feed for the night. But I cut them off, uh, you know, in that in that route to relocate, uh, you know, their bedding. And um, I, I, that was my first, that was the first day in Maryland. It was my first ever velvet buck, which is pretty cool. Yeah, that's awesome, dude. You played it perfectly, too. I really like Really like that, um, those shifting winds. I look for that a lot, especially like you're saying, when you have a known forecast that you're looking for. Sometimes I'll wait until I'm going to get that shift to the wind that I need, and I'll try to get there just before that. And like you're saying, you'll get them on that that pattern, that shift pattern from one bed to the other to where the wind's favorable for them. So great yeah, tactics, I mean, man. It really is. That's a well, great tactic. Well, you know, and also like to also just to kind of add to that a little bit, the, 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 the jumping those deer, you know, bumping those deer like you did or I did that day, you know, if you can document what went down, where they ran yep. and that kind of thing. I mean, you know, you, you could, uh, you know, somebody, you could, you could set up on an escape route the next, the next year in rifle season and maybe somebody else or you give your buddy five dollars just put his head up over that hill and <laughs> spook those deer down to you, whatever you need to do, you know, do yeah. a drive or whatever, but it might put you in position. Like, that's what I mean. Like, it, you know, it's so like cumulative, the, the knowledge in the woods and like, and you, what you can learn. And it, I mean, I know people that keep journals. I'm, I'm still like, I still do a pretty good job of remembering a lot of stuff on my own. But I mean, as I get older, I'll probably have to write this stuff down, but all that stuff that you can learn and you see happen, it, you can either shake it off as, man, I screwed that up today, or you can learn from it and make something happen the next day or the next year or whatever, you know? Yep. And we got something in store for them, exactly what you're saying. And it was only a matter of, you know, I was with a buddy of mine and my younger brother and we were kind of spread out. We were all creeping through the woods and and we weren't doing a drive or anything, but if they would have been another 50 yards ahead of me, rather than me kind of being a little bit out in front of them, maybe they would have got a crack at those pretty nice deer, but we have a plan for them. The plan was (laughs) this last year was to get a kayak and go across the creek and then get on the bottom after about a week or, you know, maybe even just the first day of rifle after everybody kind of pushes them all down over the hill. Because once you see them do that, you kind of start to realize, oh, okay, they feel pressure. Where do they first go? Down over the yep. hill where nobody else is going. <clears throat> Makes perfect sense. And then seeing some other people that are kind of local doing that same thing, having success, it's all starting to click. You know, that's something we need to do. So this year, yeah. maybe that's that's kind of in the works. We'll see what happens, but um, that's definitely that's something awesome. something learned. Where you, what you said, you know, it's not just oh crap, blew out some deer, missed opportunity. Let's see if I can get another one somewhere else. No, it was definitely a learning experience. Something that uh, showed me what they do when they see pressure and how they set up to face pressure. So yeah, looking forward to it. You uh, you um you mentioned earlier when you asked me about my hunting resume about the seek a deer hunting too. Yeah, I, I feel like. I feel like because I'm getting ready to do that here soon, um, that I want to mention that a little bit because it's something that I think is cool. And I think 
people that are from PA and the Northeast, they don't realize what they have right down the street, literally, that they can hunt. Yeah. It's so awesome. Um, I just, I mean, I'm going to, the Eastern Shore is just a cool place, and going down for Sika is just a lot of fun. They're the miniature elk, you know, they live in a limited area on the Eastern Shore and, and in Virginia as well, and down at uh, Assateague Island is another place you can go for them. But, you know, going down there and hunting those things where you got to walk through the fry grass eight feet high, when you're so used to trying to be stealthy in Pennsylvania, sneaking into spots, there's no way to sneak into these spots. You are going to make noise. And, you know, that we talked about, you know, different ways of, uh, you know, going into areas to hunt. When I hunt seeker deer, it's totally different. You know, it's like it's a whole different kind of hunting. You're going to make noise, but these deer are curious. They come to noise. They want to see what it is. So you can use it to your advantage, you know, and it's, it's pretty fun stuff. So, you know, I talked to you earlier before we started the podcast about, you know, if you ever want to get into that, I'd love to, you know, meet you guys and we'll go try it sometime. It'd be cool. Well, I think here's what we'll do, Jason. I think we'll have you back on when I have Austin with me as well. And mm -hmm. we will have you on for a Sika Deer episode <laughs> because I know he is just as jacked as I am about doing something like that. So I think he would appreciate it if uh, if we hung back and got you back on and then had That'd him join cool, yeah. us. I think that would be amazing because I, I am just as crazy and curious about it all as, as uh, he is. So I think that'd be a lot of fun. Yeah, you know, you know how it is like when you, as a hunter, you know, you, you kind of like, you, you talk to me a little bit too about you're getting into turkey hunting more now and stuff. Yep. You, know, you try to find these, you, you get a love for hunting and you, you know, archery season or whatever your, your favorite season is only occupies a part of the year. But if you're like me, you know, you probably scout the rest of the year, but there's also those times when you want to get in the woods and, you know, and hunt. So spring turkey for me, I love that. Sika hunting for me. Because Sika's the prime time you hunt them is middle of October when it's technically the law for whitetail. So, you know, we're going to call it, going to call it that. So, you know, all these periods of time, it, it stacks up. And that's why I got a very patient wife because I'm always trying to hunt or prep for hunting something. So <laughs> I, I can definitely relate there as well. <laughs> so that's awesome, man. And, you know, I can't let you go without a really good story. Uh, if you have one in mind, I, we always ask our guests to kind of give their favorite outdoor story, whether it's, you know, <laughs> a success story, a blunder, whatnot. But I, I want you to kind of sign us off with a with a good story if you got one in mind. Yeah, sure. I'll, I mean, I'm going to talk to you about the story I have. is It happened, uh, I think it was around 2005 or whatever. It was right when I first started getting into, um, you know, trying to target bigger deer. Excellent. So I had... um. I had gone hunting the night before, and right at last late, I I shot at a doe, and I wasn't 100% sure if I hit her or not. I was still, you know, kind of new as a hunter, and I wasn't 100% sure what was going on, and I, I thought I missed her, but I couldn't find my arrow. So the next day, it was supposed to be high winds. Like, I think the winds were, like, gusting to 35 miles per hour that day. So rather than go hunting, I, I had my dad and my grandfather join me to where I hunted the night before to try to figure out what happened with this doe. So we didn't hunt that morning, right? We, we went and looked and found the arrow. There was no blood on it. I had missed her clean. So we were kind of like, my dad and I wanted to hunt together that day, but with the high winds, we didn't know what to do. So kind of back to my kind of adaptive, like drives to hunt spirit, I, I decided that we should maybe go try doing a couple little archery drives in these clusters of like, they're probably anywhere from like two to 10 acre chunks of woods surrounded by field. So not very big pieces of woods, but the deer will hold up in these chunks of woods. And a lot of times 
they're hard to get out or hard to approach like for normal hunting, but little pushes can get them moving and maybe get you some shooting. So we, my dad and I got a couple other buddies, my friend Jim and my grandfather and I, so it's four of us. We went out midday. Uh, this was November 4th, I believe. The only reason I remember this, I don't know how I remember that. I don't know, but it was November 4th. So uh, you know, the time of year that everybody probably would want to be in a tree stand hunting traditionally like rut type stuff. My dad and my friend, my grandfather and I went out to do deer drives with our bow. So, you know, we kind of like adapted the situation and um, we did some push. We started doing pushes. I pushed to my dad first. Um, he saw a couple doe. That was it. My dad and grandfather sat up for the next drive and my buddy Jim and I were walking in the edge of the thicket just inside the woods um, to, to push it back to my dad. And I looked up and I saw this deer coming toward me. And I'll never forget, like, you know, you see a deer kind of sneaking through the thick stuff. I don't know why he was coming into the drive. I don't know what he was doing, but he was on his feet on his own. And he popped his head up and it was this really, really nice 11 point. And I was like, no way. Like, and my buddy Jim was about 10 feet to my right. He saw me crouch down and knock an arrow. And he said, what are you doing? Like, you know, he's mouthing all this to me. And um, this freaking great buck comes down, starts at 30 yards, turns broadside, and I drill this deer. And I was so excited that I, because I was, I was kind of ejected from the night before missing that doe. And, um, you know, I made a great shot. And when I stood up, I still remember, because at that time of year, you have to wear an orange hat. You had to wear oh, orange yeah. Yeah. stationary. I still remember seeing my, I was only about 50 yards from my dad. I could still see him. And I, I, I called my dad and I'm like, dad, I just shot a great buck. He's like, I can still see you. What are you talking about? But it was so fun. And it was like a, a perfect, like it, it worked out perfectly with my dad and grandfather too. But it was just the way that we kind of adapted the situation. And rather than like, I think some guys probably weren't even hunting that day because it was so windy. Yeah. We found a way to get out. We found a way to get it done. And it just was so nice being there with my family and friends and just sharing it. It was like a perfect hunt. So that was, that was a good one that I remember. Now, now that I'm doing like the filming and hunting, like I'm, I'm with a great group of guys right now. And like this, it, it, the lane, you met Lane or you talked to Lane before. Yep. But there's several other guys that are part of like the in the presence thing. And I never filmed hunting before, but it, I do love that now that I can go back and watch the hunt and share it. I'm not a, a great storyteller, obviously, um, but I, I can share this. I can share the hunts now with my friends and family. And I love doing that. Like, it's so awesome. I don't care about anything else as far as like, someone's like, you're going to be famous someday. I'm like, no, I'm not. It's, they're just joking with me. You know what I mean? But it's more a matter of like um, the idea that I can share the hunts with people and actually show them the videos. So I, I really like like, you know, do that now. And, you know, trying to get that doe I shot yesterday, I got on film. So, you know, that'll be on our channel here soon. It'll be pretty cool. Well, for the first time tonight, I have to disagree with you. I think you're a, a damn good storyteller, and I think that was an amazing story. That's what it's all about, man. Doing it with your family and then, you know, having everyone there with you and, and killing them off the ground and everything else is just uh, unbelievable. You know, where I agree with you, some people would probably have gotten frustrated or looked at the weather forecast, and it's just too easy to say, ah, too windy out there. I'll go tomorrow. You know, in those I'll go tomorrow days seem to be the best, you know, whether it's a little bit of rain or wind or whatnot, those always seem to be the best days. So incredible, man. Yeah, it was, Absolutely incredible. It was great. It was good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny because I've actually seen some of your guys' videos prior to, you know, Lane reaching out. I believe it was Lane um, on Instagram and watching some of the, I, I remember his video he sent over to us and I was like, Hey, I've actually seen this already. Um, <laughs> it, it, I watch a lot of YouTube 
uh, hunting yeah. videos and especially local videos. And that's one of the ones that came up that reminded me. And then I found the channel through that. Well, but the reason I brought it up was because like I, when you said thing about a hunt to talk about yeah. last year, the last year, the buck I killed in PA, it, there was a lot of ups and downs. And I, I, I was able to video a lot of the ups and downs and that's, that's what's cool now is that I was going to tell that story about like, well, heck someone just to watch the video. Yeah. That's why I opted for the 11 point story. But I mean, yeah, it's, I, I think that I, I like, I like talking to people about hunting. It's great to do that. I love this, what we're doing right now. And, um, I just, I, I, I like learning like what people have to say and how they approach things. Are you just talking about how you left your ca- leave the cameras in the woods and stuff? Like I learned stuff from you tonight that I can take with me to the yeah. woods. That's, I just love that. That's just great. Yeah, that's why we started this, man. <laughs> you know, it, it is. It's like deer camp, right? And you're yeah, talking exactly. deer hunting with buddies. And like you said from the beginning, you know, we're we're definitely going to be buddies from here on out. That's what it's all about, right? You know, it's it's yeah, it's a different next, next bond time, with hunters. Maybe next time we could do it. Or next time we could do it on an actual fire or something like a true deer camp situation. Heck yeah, heck yeah. We're not <laughs> that far apart. Why not? Right? Yeah, it'd be cool. Heck yeah. <laughs> I'm on my little mobile recorder right now. I can bring this thing anywhere. We can do it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, definitely, dude. So why don't you go ahead and give a shout out to In the Presence Hunt and on, you know, wherever they can find it, where they can find you, and um, we'll, we'll get this thing signed off. That'd be cool, yeah. Um, yeah, everybody, like, like I said, I'm with a great group of guys, pretty much like just working class people that are out on our days off or, you know, vacation, limited vacation time, whatever. Uh, we, you know, we occasionally go like Mitch goes to South Carolina occasionally like to hunt out of state or like with an outfitter, but most of our hunts are public land or on like, you know, probably get permission on or whatever. But yeah, we try to film our hunts and it's on in the presence outdoors. Uh, we have a YouTube channel, um, check out our videos. We do everything from whitetail, turkey, Sika. We have some, actually have, uh, somebody, getting uh you know using falconry or whatever catch some rabbits with hawks it's pretty cool and um we also have a website we just came out with some pretty cool gear you know different shirts and things we kind of made up so i'm trying to like change or go off topic here real quick but the one spot i access um i actually have to put a mountain bike in my kayak to row part of the way so um, i I actually made a shirt up where it's uh, kind of a silhouette of me rowing a kayak with my mountain bike in my kayak it's on our website it's pretty cool so yeah, just check out all this stuff. It's um, I really appreciate it. You know, uh, going over there and watching our videos and you know, like and subscribe, do all that. You know, the YouTube thing. You need to title that shirt "Triathlon Deer Hunter" or something along those lines. I, I think that'd be hilarious. I wrote, well, I wrote underneath it "Solutions, Not Excuses," because you know, <laughs> like, like in my career where I work and just you know, daily life, but also in hunting, you know, you always hear people that you know why they why they can't go to that spot or why they won't go to the top of that mountain. I'm like figure out a way, you know, if you can figure out a way, you're probably going to be better off, you know, to find like solutions, not excuses. Well, that is a great thing to sign off on. And I can't say thank you enough, Jason. Appreciate it, man. Congratulations on the two Maryland doe. You got definitely the monkey off your back early. Got a couple deer on the ground already. And I am absolutely thrilled and excited to see what you come up with for the rest of the season. Can't wait to see the videos that come out and continue to watch you guys succeed. Love the channel, love what you guys are doing, and I, I can't say uh, thank you enough. Thank you very much, and thank you, everybody, for taking the time to listen to this. I appreciate it. Absolutely, man. Appreciate it. And in honor of Austin not being here tonight, congratulations on the baby, Austin. I will yes, sign congratulations. off. The distraction is real. From antelope in the western plains to the whitetails of the Midwest and giant black bears in Canada, 
Watch 100% bow hunting action on Respect the Game, Tuesdays at 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.